You know what we need more of in rugby league? We need more Mitchell Pearce State of Origin stories. <laughs> My God. <laughs> the Amazon forests that have been chopped down to uh, talk about Mitchell Pearce's comeback for Origin 3 in New South Wales and whether he can find redemption after all the drama, of course, of all those losses for New South Wales through the great run of wins for Queensland in Origin. Oh, the paper, the the pulp, the mills that have been churning, churning out the Mitchell Pearce stories. I'll be so glad when Origin's over. For one reason only, we don't have to see any more Mitchell Pearce redemption stories in the papers or talk about it or watch it on the TV. My goodness, it has been some sort of week and a bit now in the Mitchell Pearce world. I'm, I'm hoping Mitch hasn't been looking at his phone. I hope he hasn't been buying any papers. I'm hoping he's been in the little blues bubble and just ignoring everything that's been spoken about him because it's been Mitchell overload. Hi, everybody. Mm. Warren Smith, Matt Russell, Lara Pitt with you on Take Me Now. I've seen it all. Um, we'll get more into depth, into origin. Uh, in well, Here we are, two more sleeps away from the game itself uh, as the show goes on. But... Off the right, off the top, let's talk about what happened over the weekend. Another origin-affected round of rugby league, just the four games, obviously. But yesterday, you and I, Matty, were down there at Sharky Park, and the Baby Broncos 2.0 turn out a backline, which was Sean O'Sullivan, Jake Turpin, Xavier Coates, Gemmit Shibasaki, Katoni Staggs, Herbie Farnworth, <laughs> the famous, and Darius Boyd, who's played 307 games of. NRL, but the rest of them, Katoni Staggs had played 23 games. The rest of them had played four, nine, two debutants. Unbelievable! It was just, a, just a, that's the the Broncos back line yesterday. Who, what sort of price would you have got at some stage in 2019 of that being the starting back line for the Brisbane Broncos, even with Origin? A r- remarkable story for them to come down and do. Pretty much what they did against the Tigers back in 2002. The baby Broncos got the job done again. G'day, Was. G'day, Lars. You know, when they beat Cronulla in round seven, Brisbane, yesterday's backline only had one survivor, and it was Darius Boyd. And then during the game, that backline lost O'Sullivan. It lost Gemat Shibasaki. At that point, Cronulla led by 10 points, had all the momentum, and they were going to win by 30 as they led by 10. Instead, Brisbane came back to win by two. It was the 102nd Broncos win for Darius Boyd. And post-game, I said to him, you've had bigger, more significant wins in terms of finals, et cetera, et cetera, but have you had a more heroic victory at the Broncos in that one? And he admitted, probably not. They were gone. They were hopelessly gone. Yet Anthony Seabold and this new-look devastated team by injuries and origins delivers. Now, it says something about the Broncos. It probably says more about Cronulla right now, but I thoroughly enjoyed it and I love the storylines across the round, which we'll get to in a moment. But Mm. those two debutantes on the wings, Herbie and Xavier, I couldn't believe it's the first ex-first name to play in the Premiership. You mentioned that yesterday, Lara. And Herbie... The first Herbie since 1975, and I spoke to both of the young men afterwards. They were so delighted, so emotional. You could almost see the adrenaline pumping through their veins, and it was just a fantastic yak with two young men who I'm sure we will see a hell of a lot more of. Yeah, I think I'd like to put my tips in on Friday when I do my prep for Sunday because I just had this feeling after I'd seen all the build-up to this game around what the Broncos did with their debutants, the emotion of it all, that 
that there was just no pressure on them coming into this game. You know, they were playing with just all this inexperience out there. You've already touched on it. The back line in particular, we talked pre-game about that. They just weren't meant to go down to Shark Park and do anything. And we used quite a bit of the Broncos content, which I just absolutely love the clubs giving us this insight access now uh, to their special moments of handing out debut jerseys and watching. You know, it's the best when you're working with Nathan Highmarsh because when he sees these young players crying, he's like, oh, Oh, just wouldn't have happened in my day. <laughs> and and the, he sees the initiation of the way they uh, had to do a little post-try celebration on the training paddock this week, you know, leading into the game to initiate them. He's like, oh, we would have just had a beer to initiate <laughs> ourselves into first grade. Anyway, times have changed, but you can see I love seeing those videos of what it meant to the players and then I just got this sense that the Sharkies under all sorts of pressure the coach really slamming them during the week and I just didn't know whether that spray would be enough and it certainly wasn't but yeah I love the names rock star names and what an what a performance I wish as I said I wish I could put my chips in on Friday because I would have changed it changed <laughs> it up yeah the x-man I mean I was lucky to see him in training uh, ahead of the PNG versus Samoa test match at Leichhardt Oval a couple of weeks ago. And the moment I turned up to um, Paramaris High School's grounds to where Papua New Guinea were training on this particular night, and they were just putting up kicks and bombs towards the corner before training really began, and I was watching this young bloke go, oh, so I was like, wow, this bloke is an absolute athlete. It was just struck you straight away. You could just stand in there five, ten metres from him and was watching him catch these balls going... Oh, who is this kid? And um, and everybody in the Papua New Guinea squad said, super humble, but not overawed by the occasion. Really thinks he belongs as a real part of the group. Wasn't sort of standing aside, and he was, you know, having plenty to say, but um, just uh, just does everything so well. Mm. And with his first touch yesterday, well, that will live. You know, that should be that's one of the highlights. It's, if you go back through the whatever years of Broncos, you know, all the, the premierships and stuff, somewhere in the timeline of Bronco, and he will you know, potentially play 15 years in the NRL, given mm. what we saw on debut yesterday, um, you know, and given a good run with injuries and everything else that happens in the world of the NRL. But Xavier Coates, that first touch in attack, scores a try, which was, mm. you know, there were the, and I hate the comparisons with Greg Inglis and that sort of stuff. But the way and, – and we had that with Latrell Mitchell earlier this year. But the way Xavier Coates actually runs is more – much more, yeah. I think, like Greg Inglis than Latrell Mitchell. And the and way his he body. was – that's yeah. like G.I. G.I. was even lankier, I think. But he that that physique yeah. looks more like a really but young G.I. Yeah, I understand. The ground he covered – I watched it back again this morning just to, you know, just to see it again. Mm. He covers an amazing amount yeah. of ground. Into the, the sun try, as well. Running and makes his leap up above the defence and then – the try that was given no try, which was going to be a similar one, when the kick was put in, well, it was so flat and there was just no chance he was going to get anywhere near it and invent, I think he scored the try. I mean, it was given no try. I, I couldn't overturn what was the on-field decision of try for his second try. Mm. That was more remarkable, I thought, than the first one because it was no, he just, he was, the kick was nowhere near high enough for him to get there. But he still got there and I was like, oh, wow. This is a super athlete. I hear what you're saying about I hate the comparison with Greg Inglis, but if no one says what they're thinking, isn't that even worse? Like the first thing you 
do when you look at him and look at the way he carries himself and moves, you think of a young GI. Yeah. And we could compare him to a lot of other players that would be less favourable than GI. I don't think we need to apologise for drawing that comparison, even though I've heard many people do so, and I've tended to lean towards an apology. Why are we apologising? He is like a young GI. We're not saying he must um, replicate, that. replicate yeah. or be equivalent to be a success. We are just saying we look at him and we can't help but be reminded. And mm. What a year because he's made his Queensland Cup debut, scored two tries on debut. He's helped uh, Queensland under-18 star. He's helped uh, his under-18s team beat Illawarra's under-18s team in the national final. Now he's played for PNG yep. on debut and he's made his NRL debut in fantastic... What a year for oh. Xavier Coates. It's less than two months. He's done all this in the space of uh, between whatever date in May and basically the first weekend of July. Yeah. It's just like... <laughs> It is, I'll talk about being on a rocket ship to start him. Yeah. Unbelievable. He sort of, and in a way, he took some of the limelight away from the other debutantes yesterday who who also performed admirably behind the experience of, you know, Tavita Pangai Jr., if I can call it experience in that regard. Their forwards were strong, Lodge, Payne Haas with that decisive try as well. But it was just a, a it would, must have been a fantastic trip back to Brisbane can for Anthony Seabold and that 17 because they came from the clouds to win. 18 years of age on debut. The world is your oyster and you're going back to Brisbane conquering heroes, having beaten the Sharks who uh, lose for the third time in a row. And that that game may well define both teams' seasons. The Broncos, a chance to go on now and try and keep this role going. Uh, We went through their run home as far as the remainder of the season last week. But this week they take on the Warriors up there at home. Then they take on the Bulldogs. Then they take on the Titans. Three very very winnable games right there. If they could win all three, that would get them back to nine wins and nine losses with six games to go. Our colleague in the Fox Sports Stats bunker, uh, Aaron Wallace, mm. came up with a great tweet this morning that really rammed it home to me. 11 teams right now are closer to the bottom than the top in the NRL Premiership race. NRL... T- Teams, 11 of them, are closer to the bottom than the top. Than the storm. So I went down and, yes, from Newcastle down, 18 points and lower, are all closer to the bottom of the ladder than the Melbourne Storm on top. Well, the Broncos are now one win outside the top eight. That's right. Exactly. Because the Tigers stumbling and the Sharks stumbling this weekend and the Knights losing, as you say, it's it's an incredibly open race. It's... It's helpful for the teams that are that only two weeks ago we put a line through that this origin period, as you as we know, you can pick up some valuable wins. Well, hold off our uh, end of term yep. two report card until <laughs> next week because everyone will have played uh, sixteen games by that stage, so exactly two thirds the way through the season. But it is shaping up. Uh, in, it's a fascinating run home, depending on, as I say, if the Broncos can win their next three, then they're back at nine wins and nine losses, and then. You know, have a bit of momentum. Um, I'm not suggesting they can beat Melbourne or beat uh, the Roosters, but and they play, they play the Melbourne Storm in round 20. So then they take on the Cowboys, the Panthers, uh, the Rabbitohs, the Eels, and the Bulldogs. I mean, you know, of the teams who are currently in the top eight, they play Melbourne, they play South Sydney. They've only got when they've got. Um, yeah, so they only played two more games, and sorry, Parramatta. They've got three more games of their remaining games, of their remaining nine, only three against teams in the top eight. But yeah, I feel like a few of those top eight now 
places are under threat. Well, that's right. Can't imagine, couldn't have imagined a few weeks ago we'd be talking about the sharks in this way that they are. So, yeah, it's probably going to change, isn't it, for the next couple of weeks. And the one thing we've, we have learnt with the Broncos is the moment you sort of think yeah. when they won those three games in a row not that long ago, you thought, oh, well, they're back and hit the the real Broncos of 2019 have emerged and things are clicking for Anthony Seabold. They went on to win, uh, sorry, to drop three games in a row. So, Was can I take an overarching uh, topic here about the round as a whole? We're right in the middle of origin as we lead up to the deciding period. We've had four games this weekend at a time of year where a lot of people say, why can't we work the draw better? Why do club games have to be decimated by origin? The Footy just drops off. I'm not interested. What the hell is going on? Well, we had games decided by two points in Wollongong, four points in Newcastle, two points at Shark Park. The biggest margin of the weekend was the Roosters beating the Tigers by eight. We had uh, Billy Walters making his debut for the Melbourne Storm and, and playing really well. We had Phoenix Crossland making his debut and the story that went with that for Newcastle. We know what happened. We've spoken about that at Shark Park yesterday. Is it glass half empty or glass half full? I woke up this morning feeling fantastic. <laughs> After my afternoon at Shark Park, I'm positive today. Do we just need to look at the rounds differently at this time of year, not poorly at this time of year? Because there are great storylines. We still had controversy galore. We still had debutantes and highlights. Why do we need to criticise the rounds during Origin when really all we need to do is look at them differently? Yeah, and I was, that was my view going into, especially with the Broncos, with as many, you know, 11 players with less, less than 25 games of experience going into yesterday's game. And while we have this discussion around origin and its effect on the competition every year, as I say, when you go back through the premiers for the last 15 or 20 years or whenever, who of the premiers wouldn't have been premiers had the competition been different? Had, had we not had the NRL rounds affected by origin? Well, like... Would the Roosters not have won the comp last year? Would Melbourne not have won the comp the year before? Would the Sharks not have won the competition back in 2016? I can, mm. you know, go onwards, back, backwards, obviously, to the Cowboys. I mean, you know, the Cowboys had plenty of representation in 2015, as did the Broncos. They were both in the grand final in 2015. Uh, would, what changes? The fact is we play 24 games, and while there are games affected, it isn't a, a big enough portion of the season to change the teams who would end up, I don't think, in the top eight and the top four and eventually make the grand final. Yeah, my message to the Narcs Unless, is... of course, unless you lose somebody to injury who's a key yes. playmaker or whatever else, and that could happen at any stage. Um, if it would happen, and I guess it has happened in origin in the past, but, you know, ordinarily it isn't enough of a part, of, not a big enough part of the season mm. to affect, to impact to the point that a team misses the top eight, I don't think. And if you, if Origin is the difference between you making the top eight or not making the top eight, you weren't going to win the comp anyway. Yeah, it is what it is. We've got Origin. We love Origin. The system during Origin has been looked at by multiple uh, talented minds and we have the best current situation. So as I'm sitting watching footy at the grounds and at home this weekend, I'm thinking to myself, hang on, I was told I shouldn't be enjoying this as much as I am. <laughs> so I thought, no, bugger it. I'm going to ignore that and treat it for what it is, and I loved it. Yep. So shut up and get on with the footy. <laughs> I would say that the only thing, Matty, is that the interest does tend to peter off, right? Why? Not... Because too many people are saying we can't be interested in this. It's not the best against the best mm. because well, they're away from origin. Part of the reason the, the interest the peters momentum. off, because we, as I say, it's like having McDonald's franchise and you take Big Macs off the mm. menu for 
you know, two split rounds. And you so. know what? Someone tries a fillet of fish out of necessity and thinks, you know what? That's better than a Big Mac. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stuff your Big Macs. I'm having fillet of fish yeah, from this point. That's how I discovered fillet of fish. Do they still sell fillet of fish? I used to love the fillet of fish, but too much mayo. I didn't like that. I used to tell them to <laughs> keep the mayo, mayo off. I love mayo. Don't do that. Another You're part ruining of the, it. Another part of the reason why these games don't seem as important is because it's just it's just one hundred percent swamped by origin talk. Yeah, I just I we can't go over this enough, and we don't have the solution. I do think the season's too long though. These weeks are the weeks that don't really matter. But you yeah. can't. We're not going to go back there because we don't know how to fix it, right? But That's it just right. feels like at the moment we're in a bit of a lull. Like we are enjoying what happens, and we like to see these young stars get a crack. No doubt about it. Some of the best stories we've seen all season. Uh, but, yeah, I just feel like these are the weeks where you go, oh, what What are these two points really mean? And, and they're important for the teams like the Broncos who need to get something out of the origin period. But, you know, I, I just feel like we go round and round in circles, don't we, around around the draw and, and where, whether or not it needs to just be pegged back to 20 rounds. Yeah. Well, I mean, Melbourne have been the preeminent team for 15 seasons. And they've had as much representation in origin as any team and they invariably are thereabouts in some time in September, aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're always a factor. They're always a contender. Uh, and that's despite having Cameron Smith and Cooper Cronk and Billy Slater and Greg Inglis when he was still down at the Melbourne Storm. And then when he left, they still had the big three mm. playing origin every year and they would still find a way to but, either come up with uh, wins against the odds in Origin or drop those games and then rest their players off the back of Origin and still find a way to finish in the top four and either, you know, make the grand final or win the competition. So Yeah, I feel like they kill it in Origin period anyway. They do. Like last year I have this vivid memory of Craig Bellamy going, this is the best Origin period we've ever had. Yeah. And it feels like they don't seem to ever have a struggle. I'm not going to try and pronounce the kid that came off the bench for the Storm on Thursday, Maddie. Asua Malaawi. Yes. The role, one of them off the rank, off, <laughs> another cab off the rank. I was at home watching that game as I would have been as a Dragons fan and I was like, who is this guy? Another one. Here they go. <laughs> Who's this and unit? credit to the Melbourne Storm for getting him to say his name a couple of times in a microphone and then distributing to yes. the media so we could sit at home practising Fasua Malawi. Yeah. So when it came to game time, you weren't tumbling over yourself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and that is fantastic because – and more teams need to do that because – have you got it on your emails, Matty? I'm madly searching right now yeah, for, the, for the email that we received just to make sure there was no confusion – about how to pronounce a new player's name, and we got that earlier in the year with Brian To'o. We got him in a he, in the microphone. Malawi. Say it again. There you go. Very good. How simple is that? How good is that for NRL clubs to do that when there's a player making his debut? And to send out and get the player himself, so there is no confusion, there is no debate, and we don't have two or three weeks of somebody whoever gets to call that game that week um, mispronouncing his name. And ultimately, if he scored a try in his first few games and you that's get right. that wrong, then that's his uh, memory. I had the twelfth man. I could hear the twelfth man saying, "How far down the sewer goes my wee wee?" But it's Malawi. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it, <laughs> Matt Russell. That was Billy Birmingham. Billy not Birmingham. Me. Oh, I was best. possessed by Billy Birmingham. <laughs> Yeah, uh, what is what is Billy doing? He'd have fun with that, wouldn't he? <laughs> he would have. Can you do that in this day and age? I don't know. Could, could, I'm does, sure there'd be someone no. who took... Does, does Billy have Might a career? Have to edit that in, out. In, in 2019, <laughs> does Billy Birmingham have a career? Uh, yes, he does somewhere. I'm sure he does. No. 
No, oh, maybe not. Half, half, half the material yeah. probably isn't that sad? is no isn't that longer sad acceptable, isn't it? No, no. Uh, well, let me tell you, digressing quickly, having been overseas, uh, I realise how politically correct we are in Australia and how governed we are by bu- bureaucracy in Australia. And if both those areas were to lax a little, I would have no problem with it. Mm-hmm. That message brought to you by Matt Russell. <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> oh, the Matt Russell Britain spoken by Matt Russell. Oh, dear. Matt Russell who's the person who gets those jobs to speak really, really super quickly at the end of those uh, political advertising I find myself doing a bit sideline at times was as I try and wrap up before the kickoff comes again. I feel yeah, like yeah. I'm a political speaker. Plugging can we, origin. Can we go yes. back there, though, and talk about uh, that game between the Storm and the Dragons? Because that was also a great storyline around the debutants and the pre-game build-up, which we saw something you don't see enough of in rugby league, some of the biggest, toughest, ugliest men that we have here at Fox League getting rather emotional um, when Kevy Walters presented his jersey to, to Billy. Uh, just wonderful scenes and, you know, I guess not nice to see someone upset, but you can just see how close-knit the Queensland fraternity is and we know... If you don't know the backstory, you know, obviously um, the Walters family have had, had their um, tragedy in, in life and to see, you know, that special moment. And the, and the storm then produced the reverse angle and the, uh, mm. and the audio of, of that moment uh, after the game, which, yeah, was so special to, to be a part of. Losing wife and mum to breast yes. cancer and then getting out of origin camp during training to go down and present Billy. I thought it was fantastic watching it without the audio on game day, but then watching the actual Melbourne Storm version where you could hear Kevy speaking, I thought, mm. thought it was magnificent. And again, mm. you applaud the clubs for giving fans access to areas where we would not have seen 10 years ago. Mm. They would have gone to great lengths not to show us stuff like that because it was the culture of the game. Uh, less shown the better, more secrecy the better, etc., etc. But thankfully those barriers are being broken mm. and not before time was. No, absolutely, yeah. I, um, and I was critical of the clubs for a long while there that they would try and hide that sort of stuff. And, th- you know, I think that was sort of – and as we In saw with sanctum, the Broncos. Yeah, yeah uh, that was fantastic vision. I would encourage you, as Lara was alluding to earlier on, if you haven't seen it, just go on to broncos.com.au via the NRL website. I think I'm pretty sure it's still there. Um, you can see the four players um, – being presented with their jerseys on their debut uh, a couple of days out back up there in Brisbane and uh, and yeah Xavier Coates where he was in tears uh, told you everything you need to know about what it meant to him and he comes out and played the way he did so mm. yeah that's fantastic that the clubs are giving us a bit more um, access in regards to that sort of stuff and Congratulations to Billy and Kevy and the whole yeah. Walters family. That meant so much and mm. and well played, Gordy. Uh, the reaction was uh, stunning. I was surprised that there were. I, I guess you know, I've been around a long time and know the story quite obviously. I was surprised how many uh, viewers and or fans of the game weren't aware of the, of the Walters story. Yeah. And um, and yeah, it came to light quite obviously. And and Gordy. Um, and people always ask, you know, one of the more regular questions you get when you do what we do is, oh, what's so-and-so yeah. like and what's he like and what's Gordy Tallis like? And I've always said, Gordy Tallis, you know, people watched him play and he played on the ragged edge and he was the raging bull and aptly named. Uh, but Gordy's an absolute champion. Mm. Uh, mm. Just a tremendous fellow. I've always loved Gordy's company. And to see what it meant to him in particular was just fantastic the other yeah. night. It was terrific. I can understand how it would creep up on um, Gordy too without him knowing. He's watching the vision. He's spent a lifetime with Kevy and he's seen Billy grow up. As you watch that unfold and those memories come back, I can understand how he just got caught in the moment yeah. and, and, yeah. It was yeah, but even for Mick, fantastic. I mean, as, father, as a father, if you're seeing someone as a dad giving their son their jersey, you can get caught up in the emotion as well, mm. you know, without being super attached yeah. to the story. Just at home, it was, yeah, it was a really um, un- 
uh, unplanned moment yes. and magical television to, to see unfold. Big effort by the Melbourne Storm yeah. to get the better of the Dragons. Matty Russell? <laughs> but with the Dragons fans' perspective, uh, 20 years since Melbourne beat the Dragons in the 99 grand final by two points off the back of a controversial finish. There was a little mm. bit the same, beaten by two points. A whistle late, Jacob Host pinged for escorting. Mm. And as I watched it back, mindful of the 9-4 penalty count against St George Illawarra, I don't have any dramas with that penalty because I thought Jacob Host could have held his line. I thought it was perhaps a silly manoeuvre with the game on the line. But overall, were Dragons fans a little disappointed by the penalty count 9-4? Mm. Did they feel like they were dudded on the night? Or were they happy with their troops given that they were down 10 players in total? I well, know yeah. Melbourne was down six origin stars, but the Dragons down 10 to be within two. Yeah. Uh, pretty happy with that performance. If you're going to say the swear count would be in the <laughs> single digits after Thursday night, um, I would have been pretty shocked. Because, you know, when you look at the amount of talent that we're missing, and we've already talked about it last week, 10 mm. regular first-grade starters not available for Paul McGregor. So, essentially, a heap of reserve graders brought up. So, you know, whilst the Storm were missing origin stars, they still had a high-caliber side that they were fielding. Would have expected it to be a very different score. So, no, I think most mostly... Um, a brave, I think that's what Paul McGregor described it as, a brave performance and one to be proud of and probably one that you go, how annoying, probably could have got the two points, Mm. would have been handy for sure. Um, But yet again, second week in a row, Cam Smith slots the penalty in the last few minutes of the game for, um, for them to win another one. So, yeah, I don't think you can walk away from that game, you know, disappointed in the effort, Um, just not, you know, the season as a whole has just not been going the right way. But that was, I think, one of the best performances of the year, even in a loss. You know, they tried their guts out. Um, and a couple of individual errors. Jacob Post would be filthy on himself mm. for, you know, a bit of a silly one at the end. And yeah. a couple of moments like that in the game, which didn't help. Boy, but from a Dragons fan's perspective, you know, I understand why they'd be blowing up because how many do we see? We see a ton of those and people will scream about consistency, but you're never going to get consistency because until we have robots all programmed by the exact same person, we're never going to have consistency amongst the refereeing ranks and uh, certainly not going to have consistency in the bunker, it would seem, mm. after what yeah. was a fairly gobsmacking, uh, hard-to-fathom weekend of decisions from the bunker at various stages. Should we move on to that now? Yeah, we going to talk about that. Um, it didn't seem to be a game not affected by something to do with the bunker over the weekend. And I said last week we're only a couple of weeks away from the refs crisis back pages and all the story and stuff. And it just it comes with the territory. At some point over 25 weeks of minor premiership footy, there's going to be weeks where the refs are not mentioned because they just have a great weekend and just human nature or luck, whatever else. You're going to have weeks where they make some poor decisions and I can cop that unquestionably on the field of play. Where I can't cop it, though, is with the bunker when, and the Ken Mamalo one. Now, it didn't turn, it turned, as it turns out, the bunker got lucky there because the Warriors go on to beat the Newcastle Knights up there on Saturday night. But a couple of things out of that game had everybody talking, uh, including that decision to disallow the try. It would have been the hat-trick for Ken Mamalo diving into the corner. Your thoughts on that? It was a try. It was a try for your life. I was convinced it was a try from the moment he scored it, watching it live, because you just you know how good they are usually at putting these these balls down in the corner of the field, um, staying above the field. Now, last week, the week before, they had one awarded to them. David Fusatua had a hand on the ground. Everybody missed it, including us in commentary until the death when Mick Ennis picked it up. But they've got a lot of eyes in there in the bunker, and... 
Uh, you know, the, the Ken Mamalo one, I will say they don't understand at times what's happening with the pictures they are seeing. And that can be true at home also. Is And there are, diff- you know, you'll see super slow-mos and you'll just see slow-mos and there is a difference between the quality of the images at times depending on what cameras are being used and what system is being used by the OB truck. Not every game is identical as far as the coverage is concerned. That needs to be put out there straight away. Um, it's And... It, if we had unlimited budgets, every camera would be ultra slow-mo and you could see everything back at a thousandth of a second. But in the real world, that isn't the case. And um, the I think the, the one replay that convinced Steve Clark that the ball came away from Ken Mamalo's hand uh, was a blurry frame where it looks as though, you know, the ball and his hand are separated, but his fingers and his hand or fingers were on the ball the whole way down. It was a, just a... Meat and potatoes, stock standard put down by a winger diving into the corner. And he got fooled by the technology. I've got no doubt about that. They have an emphasis to be right first and an emphasis to be fast second. I'd say be right first, second and third and then worry about the pace of your decisions. Because ultimately if decisions are taking one or two replays too many, there'll be a bit of a grumbling that decisions are taking too long. If you get it wrong, there's going to be a roar of outrage. So look at the one extra replay. Make absolutely categorically sure, yes, I think he separates side on, but I need to look at end on again. And again, they'll be hearing this and saying, well, we can't get, we can't make it work. We're either too slow or we're too wrong. We'll, we'll so be too slow. I was listening to it on the radio. Did they look at it quickly? Did they? Did well, they rush the, it? I thought... It was made very quickly, I thought. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. made very quickly. Where I've always thought as wingers in this day and age contort themselves and, and roll the ball from their forearm down through their fingers to ground the ball, that even if you don't have perfect control of the footy but it's part of the try-scoring motion where you're trying to plan it down, that will do. It's when the ball separates from your hand that you are required to re-grip the ball to yep. score the try. There was no separation. Mm. Ken's allowed to roll it down his fingers and, and do the downward pressure. It's a try every day mm. of the week. Whereas the Isan Masters try earlier in the weekend, even though you could argue there was downward pressure, looking at that, I thought that using previous no tries as an indicator, as a precedent, that would be ruled no try. Yet I was surprised when it came up try. Um, I'm not saying there wasn't downward pressure. I'm just using the previous instances that I thought, hang on, Isan hasn't scored here. Yet that was a try. Yeah, given given the way they normally rule on those, yes. I was expecting that to come up as no try. But mm. I believe it, you know, it, it, like um, Kevin Marlow, the moment he makes contact with the ball, Isan masters, it never leaves his wrist or his forearm mm. and he plants it down, the ball hits the ground, then the ball you know, bounces away or slides out between the contact between his arm and the ground and the ball comes out as a result. For, you know, all intents and purposes, he has downward pressure and I, I couldn't see that why that isn't a try. But then again, I, no, thought, I, was, thinking, I was thinking no try because of what we've seen previously, however yes. many times from the video referee. Yeah, I'm just looking at it again. I don't think it's on Masters. Scored. That ball. Well, see, that, and that was the confusion for fans. They're looking at that saying, hang on, why is that now a try? And they're looking at Ken Mamalo saying, hang on, and, how is that a no try? And Ken Mamalo goes equal with Mike Acevo at the top of the try scoring list. What if he's robbed of a Ken Irvine medal at the end yeah, of the year based on go. one try? It's a possibility, Lyle. Anyway, let's it, keep an eye it, on and that. And I don't like to compare with other codes, but if you watch any rugby union, they, they give a try if you are even, is there even a hint that you've grounded the ball? Yeah. You watch that and think, hang on, how's that a try? Yep. It, it, do we need to go more that way? Mm. I hope not. Mm.
Oh, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know which like, way we're going. Sometimes you think that he's brushed it with his pinky and they're, yeah. they're giving that downward pressure. With I, the I bunker, I, and I've always said, the bunker gives the on-field referees a bad name. They, they make mistakes they shouldn't make far too regularly and I think the on-field officials, for the most part, do a sensational job and two-thirds to three-quarters of the controversy around refereeing always involves the bunker. Did the referees make a mistake by allowing the try to Newcastle with Petter Hicku concussed in back play? Because their rules, the rules that they follow, say that they can't stop the game unless the trainers tell them to. So had they stopped the game there, they know they walk into their boss's office on Monday and maybe cop a dressing down for stopping the game at their own discretion, not at the advisement of the trainer. So after we had the situation up there in Townsville earlier this year where Grant Atkins didn't stop play and then there was the hue and cry that the Cowboys were down two players and the Melbourne Storm went down the field, got a penalty, kicked a goal off the back of it. And, um, you know, I I was a defender of Grant Atkins in that situation because I said, you know, you can't be all things to all people. And people were saying, well, there was a trainer on the field and he was saying stop the play. That happened right at the very end of the set. And it's a game of rugby league. It happens very quickly. And I'm going to say again in this situation here that Gavin Badger, I don't know what's going to happen when Graham Annesley fronts the media today and goes through all the different decisions over the weekend and they'll talk about all these and they'll show them in slow-mo and talk about Kenma Marlor and Isan Masters and they'll talk about Peter Hiku being concussed. Now, I know you see him make the tackle and he sort of he's in that sort of half-sitting position and he goes down and he stays there and play goes on. But if if a player going down in what looks to be like a slightly awkward position, if we stopped the, the, the game every time that happened, well, people would be screaming saying, what happened to the, the game a, flowing? That is my point exactly. The, we were all talking about in the pre-season. The game's going to flow more. There's going to be less penalties. We're going to have more fatigue in the game and the little men are going to come more into their own at the back end of the, back end of the game. And you've got to, again, as I said Last time with the Cowboy situation up there in Grant Atkins, I'll say it again, all of that backstory has to be thrown in to any decision, any criticism you make of the referees for letting play go on in that situation because drummed into us in the pre-season was the game is going to flow and the referees have to do this balancing act. They're on the high wire and they're there with, you know, a step, one step, false step and they get criticised for stopping the game, one false step the other way and they're criticised for not stopping the game for a player who's obviously, I'll put that in parentheses, um, concussed. And and obviously he was concussed. But you're not out there refereeing the game at 100 miles an hour making these decisions on the run. Mm. Mm. And there's, there's almost this thing at the moment, it, it, people's minds, it has to be 13 on 13. Well, it's not fair. We only had 12 players. Well, what about when someone gets in bin? And it's 13 versus 12. What about two weeks ago when it was 13 versus 11? And, and, and I'm, the comment I'm going to make is not about pedahiku or concussions, but it is a competitive game built on a game of attrition. So if you're running the ball hard, knocking your opponents over, and they are taking some time to get up because they're winded, because they're um, some way physically affected, isn't that part of the aim of rugby league? So, so how are the referees they're meant to discern between, hang on, I've got to stop the game or no, I've got to let the game flow like the coaches and the fans want when a player isn't serious. They're not doctored. So that's why they rely on the trainers. So uh, it's, a very, uh, it's easy to scream outrage. The game should have been stopped because of the badly concussed Peter Hiku. But be very careful of what we create if that is the standard we want to follow. Because I guarantee you, players in a week down the track will be under the pump, staying down and... Um, yeah, but we've been there. 
I feel like we've been there. When players feign injury, they get hammered for it. You know, and then you're asking a lot of the referees mm. to make a decision when no, they're already making a lot of decisions. I don't think it happens enough. On Wednesday night, game on the line, a Queenslander gets back to his feet wobbly. Uh, New South Wales on the attack. What do you want the referees to do? Well, exactly, and 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 say that's the exact same situation on Wednesday but if night. They get but back in the line. That's different. No, 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 what it, they're they're back on their feet and they're a bit wobbly, so that they're 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 not prone on the ground in a dangerous well, situation. Then stay on the ground. Like if he's back because on his then, feet and he's concussed, like he's going to come off with an HIA, you can tell that he. But but he's but he's back on his feet. What do we want well, the referee going forward? No, like, you can't stop. Can't stop. Can you? No. Well, then why why should Gavin Badger have stopped? Because in that situation he on wasn't. Saturday night up there between Newcastle and the Warriors, they he, score a try. Newcastle score a try the very next play. Yeah. But he's not in the line, is he? That's right. No, he's but, not in the line. But he's he wasn't your yeah, classic on the ground with your hands tight and spasming. It wasn't that horrendous. He, he was d- dazed mm. and, as it turned out, maybe he was heavily concussed. And again, as I said with, Gavin, that classic uh, with Grant Atkins. Corpse on the ground. There's no way Grant Atkins' let's play go on if he knew the exact scenario that was taking place between John Asiata and Nene McDonald. Yeah. And... Again, I'll back up Gavin Badger. There's no way he looks at Peter Hicku and says to him, looks at him and says, oh, that bloke's in trouble there, but I'm playing on. No. Give the bloke some credit. Yeah. So, so where, where do we fall going forward? What, mm. what is the situation going forward that we would like to see? Well, if I was a referee, as I said last time around with the one up in Townsville, I would just blow time out every time someone went down and say, I'm not a doctor. It's not my fault. I'm just looking after the duty, the duty of care with the players. I'm just doing the best thing I think in this situation. And yeah. then no one can come back at me and say, you didn't look after the players. And, you know, this, this will end up at some point in some situation, if it, and hopefully it never does, but with litigation the way it is, a referee at some point will be either a witness or part of a legal situation because they, did the, they perceive, perceived by a... a Complainant to have done the wrong thing in a situation on the field. So I think referees that's, that's the way we're going. Might have already adopted that stance verbally by saying, "Well, we're just going to stop play whenever we're in doubt." And they've said, "Well, to guard against that, we'll get the trainers to tell you when you need to stop the game." Right, which is where we're at right now. Yeah, which is what Gavin Badger and Adam G said on the weekend, and yet we're held down for. So. Uh, I, I don't. I'm trying to find. As you always say, was don't raise a problem without creating the solution. Well, I, I don't know what the solution is here. Mm. I, I've got no solution without to it making the referees doctors to decide. Well, he he's a little bit knocked, but he's not severely concussed. So, but how is he supposed we'll to continue take, make that balanced exactly. decision when the game is still when he's still officiating the, the game? It, yeah, and the and the powers that be said, well, you won't. We'll get the trainers to tell you. Yeah, which is where we are. That's right. Round and round in circles we go. So people need to get past the fact, get beyond the fact that at some point in the game, yes, it won't always be 13 versus 13. That's right. Because that seems to be the main sticking point for a lot of people, including commentators who were aggrieved that it wasn't 13 versus 13 in that situation. We've got to stop the game. They're down a man in the defensive line. Well, that has been a factor for 110 years of rugby league in this country. At some point, somebody's down, and it's not always 13 versus... You can, if, you, if you actually want to go back through it and have a look at every game, I'm sure at some stage you'll find in pretty much every game there'll be at least one team who's down a man in the defensive line because somebody is hurt. Mm. I, I, I'll be stunned if I, you can prove otherwise. So it's duty of care. Yes, it is. But nothing, like he didn't have a bone sticking out of his arm. He, you know, nothing was at a weird angle. 
mm. with Pereku. He was going to cast Shaw, but we see that all the time. And, and in a safe part of the field, away yeah. from the play at that period. We're sorry that Pereku suffered a concussion in that, in that situation. Nobody wants to see that quite obviously. But mm-hmm. you will change the game. And it doesn't change the potential for the concussion to happen. It's, there are If you want to change the game just completely, and I don't know what it looks like to avoid concussions because you can have concussions in any sport. So while we have to do what we can quite obviously, I'm not going to bag the referees for trying, you know, trying to walk that tightrope between letting the game flow and duty of care because that's the tightrope they walk. Let's see what unfolds after the uh, McCallum, or not McCallum, after the Annesley discussion today and where we head in coming weeks. But, uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I was going somewhere there. That was our first ever. I think we all was like, yeah. we need to take a moment there. The players that, you know, sometimes you, you see a player go down and it's just at the right point. Like yesterday, and I'm not accusing Josh Dugan of staying down, but he stayed down. He did stay down. He looked like he was gone for all money. And that held up play for how long do you reckon? Two, I felt minutes. like it was two yeah. minutes, three minutes. Three minutes. Um, yep. And, you know, the refs did the right thing there because he did look like he was done for, but it turned out he got back up and, mm. and played on. So I know that that was at a point where they could stop the game. There was no yeah. sort of interruption in the set, but and people on, at home you know, are just like, well, why did we stop? Why do we stop that for well, he, two or three minutes? I know that it looked a bad. A knee to yeah. the kidneys, and yeah. later on on social media, he showed a big red mark yeah, and really, bruising already it. there. Yeah. It was clearly a significant knock. If yeah. you get that significant knock to that part of the body, then who knows what mm. is going wrong internally. So, mm. you know, you couldn't criticise him for stopping it there. No. No, it's just that we're talking about keeping the ball in play, but keeping it going and all of those things. And that's right. And then the moment a player stays down, now I know it's Josh Dugan. He's a lightning rod for opinion, quite obviously, a real polarising rugby league player. But people are screaming, saying, oh, well, you know, let's get – can we move the game on? We'll say, you, you know, you can't have it both ways. Mm. And I think the trainer had got to Dugan by that point and signalled we need as Andrew Gray saying, hang on, this bloke's in a bit of trouble yeah. here. Well, it was a stoppage in play anyway. Right. Yeah. The scramble, the ball had gone dead over, yeah. over the dead ball line, so it was an, an obvious stoppage and no yeah. one was inconvenienced in regards to, you know, being on the attack or whatever else. So, um, yeah, I hope Gavin Badger doesn't get hung out to dry, basically, I guess my closing my closing comments, and I will say that with any referee because, there's, you know, again, there's no referee... Uh, in that situation, he's a very experienced man. He's been out there in the field. He's seen lots of players, um, unfortunately, you know, suffer an injury. And there's no way he let play go on if he was in any, you know, if if he thought that player was in a really, really bad situation. Mm. No chance at all he does that. So Let's hope Origin is free of significant injuries on Wednesday night and we get a blockbuster. On paper, New South Wales, a dynamic squad, um, I like the fact Mitch Pearce is there. I think David Clemmer um, should have been there from day dot. I can't believe Tarek Sims isn't there, but it won't matter because the Blues will win by double figures. Well, you what know say what, you? Maddie, we should not doubt you because after game right. one, me and me and Woz should should hang our heads in shame because yeah. leading into game two, we had no hope. We thought, you know what, the Blues are done. We're going to lose the series. And what did you say? You said double nah. figure points, but yeah. they. They won well in Perth. Yep. They have a much better team on paper, you could argue. They're at home at Sydney Olympic Park. Uh, 
why won't they win by double figure points? Well, I'll tell you double why. Double figure again. Because you're so the confident. The fact that Queensland have such a wonderful record in yep. deciders mm. is it they've won nine of the fourteen deciders or something like that, nine to four or something. It's it's. I should have had those numbers at my fingertips. I don't, but um, the numbers, I can tell you the numbers are of the 19 occasions, Origin's 40-year history where the series has gone to a Game 3 decider. New South Wales have left without the Shield 15, 15 times. times. Wow. Courtesy of Dean Ritchie on the back page of the Daily Telegraph today. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, Gus Gould has been talking about that. He's been hammering that into um, – Players in the past week or so in his role, I don't know, Gus has an unofficial role. He's sort of just on the periphery and chips in where he feels. And, and, and you know, I, he mentioned that last week, I've got no doubt, as a bit of source of inspiration and motivation for New South Wales, as, as if that you would think they would need any more motivation to win the Origin Series. But um, there's always uh, means or uh, there's always <laughs> some sort of reason why things are being totted out there by various people in the... Uh, in the media, and that's exactly uh, the case in that situation. That Gus, I'm sure, wanted New South Wales to say, "Hey, this mob's got a pretty good record in this situation. Mm. Um, you guys need to mm. fire up." Yeah, well, I mean, let's put crystal ball that if Freddie wins this series, is that um, does that vindicate? is that just luck? Well, no, yeah, I mean, that, that is not just luck. It is maybe it's a little bit of timing, an element timing. of timing. I say that facetiously, of course, because yeah, I know, I know. There's been a running battle between to, the New yeah, South Wales yeah. uh, coaching staff and yeah. our very own Paul Kent here at Fox League, and and yeah. trust me, there will be a bit made of um, the result on Wednesday night either way, and that will be a storyline. I just don't like the fact that you allude that uh, he hasn't done the work or hasn't got the cred or doesn't have anything uh, without the luck. You make your own luck. Um, make your own luck. Yeah. The harder you work, the luckier you get. The better you hold yourself, the luckier you get. You can go on and on and on and on. That's not to say that there was anything wrong with Laurie Daly or the coaches have gone previously. But I just don't like the element that we can't have Freddie celebrating unbridled. We have to say it is because of an element of luck. Let's say it is. Who cares? Don't belittle it. The funny don't thing is... You know what? Only one coach... One Blues coach has won multiple Origin series. That's Phil Gould. I can't believe that. No other man has won more than one Blues Origin series as a coach. Well, Freddie might just be the second. Yeah. Why do we want to take away from that? The very same thing was said, of course, about who uh, when he started winning Origin series. Mal Meninga. Yeah. Look how that ended. Got no credit uh, for yeah. a long, long time with his runners' success, eight series in a row. And I guarantee you for the first four, five, six of those, Mal got very little credit and he blew up Deluxe. Mm. Deluxe in 2011. And it's funny how you remember things, but it was 2011. And Mal, he unloaded like nobody has unloaded on the media after Queensland won that series. They had a big lunch and he gave, uh, um, I guess, the Sydney Papers in particular full bore and, um, and and it took him a long time to get the credit that he was due. Yeah. But let's, let's just put the show on the other foot though, right? If if Queensland were sitting 1-1 in the series and, you know, what they played unbelievably well in game two, does the Queensland media come at them saying, you know, we'll just have a crack at them before we're, we're going into a decider or do we focus on the topics of positivity? I'm not saying you can't have a crack because, you know what, I do... Oh, you're saying that New South Wales is treating Freddie unlike Queensland would treat Kevy. 
I do feel like New South Wales here we're far more critical and that has come from the fact that there was that decade of humiliation. So Mm. we're not willing, we haven't left it behind yet. Until New South Wales go on and win three or four series out of the next five, it's just going to always be, oh, we're still living in the shadow of what Queensland did. I just think it comes from the roots of origin where Queensland is the little brother trying to uh, beat Build those, themselves up. Yeah, the, the Southerners who've owned the first grade competition and dominated the first grade competition for so long. I don't see it that way anymore though. And, I think and they're better. The, <laughs> they were They so still long. see themselves as mm. being, um, yeah, a, they think we see them as lower than we see ourselves so therefore they rally and they support mm. and they do whatever they and need to do. we eat each other alive. We, exactly. Exactly. That's, but that's part of Origin. You can't escape the fact that Origin is at its biggest when Queensland are dominant mm. because when New South Wales was last dominant, as I've mentioned here on the podcast before, TV ratings, the, none of the three games of Origin rated in the top 20 shows uh, in, New, in Australia in 2002, 2003, to, during that run of wins back in the early 2000s, um, it wasn't. It wasn't the series that it now is, and it's the series that it now is off the back of Queensland's success, and it becomes a bigger story because it becomes a bigger story as can, can New South. Is this the year that New South Wales finally ends the streak? That was the story for eight years, and then we won one. Then they went on and won a few more in a row. We won one last year. I guarantee if New South Wales win four of the next five, the series won't be as big as it once was. Mm. We'll be looking back in 2023 saying, remember when Origin rated it was always top three games or one, top three TV shows in Australia or three of the top five or six TV shows in Australia? If New South Wales win four of the next five, I guarantee you that won't be the case. Okay. Wonder ten years down the track how we'll be drawing a parallel between Origin and say a test match between Tonga and New Zealand or Australia and Tonga. Who knows? The mid-season Australia New Zealand test match on the Friday night before they we can that um, was always the biggest Friday night rating rugby league mm. game of the season. There you go. So one thing um, we do know about Origin was there's an appetite for international footy. Yeah, I, we, and we've discussed that this season. Cam Smith won't be playing Origin as we. Wondered whether that would be a storyline. He'll be concentrating on a milestone next Saturday night that we'll see on Fox League. And we, we might just come up with a Cam Smith story each on the run if you've got one. But I remember I was doing under-20s games a few years ago and Cam Smith came in as a guest co-commentator. And straight away I saw a bloke who'd done a hell of a lot of preparation, who took to it like he'd been doing it for a decade. Game one or two and three of being in that commentary role and his his take on the game, the preparation he'd done and the natural uh, flair he had for the role, I thought, you're one of those blokes that no matter what you do, you just own it and you just make a success of it. I remember he told me a story, Billy Slater had scored a wonderful try a few days prior that he'd set up and I said, what about Billy running onto the chip kick from you? And he said, you know what, I get sick of him during the game. He just barks at me, try this, try that do this, do that. And he says, I just do it to shut him up, really, not thinking it's going to lead to a try. And in, inevitably it, it does. And I thought it was just a nice uh, story that Cam relayed away from cameras or anything about Billy the Pest. And he just does things to shut him up to prove that he's not going to catch the ball or run onto the kick. And he was even surprised by Billy Slater's athleticism. But him in the commentary role, mm. straight away I thought, wow, no wonder. And that was best part of 10 years ago. He was only midway through his career. Which way does he walk to a coaching career or a media career? He could do both. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, coaching is so tough. And he's seen Craig, uh, you know, having seen Craig Bellamy do it How as tough as Craig does now, during a though? game. Yeah. 
you know, does Cameron want to subject himself to that? He's obviously a different personality to, to Craig Bellamy. But, you know, you sort of, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm leaning towards the media. Mm. With some sort of, you know, advisory role, some Billy Slater-esque role where you parachute into training a couple of times at each week and work with the hookers, the playmakers. Because it's, and it's also the rare thing that an out-and-out champion like Cameron Smith, like, there are far more successful coaches who weren't stars. Mm. And, and maybe, and, you know, the saying is mm. they are good coaches because they had to work. They had to get the most out of themselves and work so hard at it and look at everything under Don't a magnifying think, glass to get yeah. to do what they did, whether it be just playing the NRL or play a couple of games of origin or maybe, you know, get a game or two for Australia. But the guys who aren't just the absolute, the, uh, the immortals or whatever else, ordinarily they are the guys who make the better coaches. Has there been a Cam Smith moment in commentary or travelling the game? Well, I'll, you know, I'll, from my point of view, I'll give you a moment to um, ponder that one last because I can yeah, see you got the, the wheels are still turning. <laughs> <laughs> I've just sprung it on you, haven't okay. I, without notice. But I apologise for that. One of the things I love about Cameron is, and one of the, the great things I miss about playing, and I still play a little bit of team sport, but just mucking around um, here and there. But, you know, the thing I miss about playing it, like, when I was serious about, you know, sport, and it was at an amateur level quite obviously, whether it was playing, you know, rugby league or baseball, I played a lot of as well, cricket or soccer or anything. I love that team atmosphere and that just, I was one for just like hanging, I loved hanging around in the sheds <laughs> after the game and invariably it was with a beer and it was a special time and it, you know, everyone talks about, you know, when they retire, oh, I'm going to miss miss the boys, I'm going to miss that bonding thing and that's that's just not a cliche, that's just mm. not, you know, t- something you throw out there for the for the media if you happen to be of a, you know, a standing in whatever sport you, you um, take on and people want to talk about your career when you actually pull the pin, uh, for the vast majority of us, that isn't the case. And I, I really miss that situation. And I just know from having been around all of Cameron's career, he'll do it really tough because he is the last person usually to go into the sheds after a game because he, he takes his time walking around. He's so giving with the fans. He'll sign mm. everybody's autograph. He'll give them the boots off his feet. He'll give them his jumper, like whatever else. He is the last person every week into the sheds and, and they can't do the team song until he's in there because he's the skipper. They're not going to start the bloody team song without him. Mm. So they wait an age and then he's the last person usually out of the sheds and the last person into the shower. That's if he makes it into the shower. He'll just stay in his gear and catch the bus back to the hotel <laughs> if they're on the road and, and have a shower back at the team hotel. You might put a tracksuit on over the top because it's pretty cold at times. But, it, you know, you just tell he loves it. Mm. He, he just loves being part of a group, working towards something, trying to, you know, do what's, what is so hard, in, you know, at club level, win a premiership or win an origin series or win a test match for his country. It means so much to him. And, he, and at, at his essence, he is just a down-to-earth bloke who loves playing sport with his mates. And he, I guarantee you, for the, you know, a couple of years after he retires, the thing he will miss, the thing that he will struggle with the most is that situation where he just, has, he just doesn't get that feedback and that feeling of, of mateship and bonding from his teammates. And it'll be tough for him. Yeah. I think that he, the big part that he'll, that will miss when Cameron retires is that he and that camaraderie that they have built down there in Melbourne and that club and that success that story that is the Melbourne Storm is hugely to do with what Cameron Smith, Billy Slater and Craig Bellamy and Cooper Cronk built. But Cameron, uh, 
I feel like he's the, the the cog in the wheel that holds it all together. Um, and yeah, he'll always say that Craig's the best and, and that he he's the man that that built the club from the ground up. But the culture that they have down there, we always talk about culture and we talk about um, the, how they've led the way. And I love a story that Cameron shared. Um, and, and, and it's typified by the way they mould players down there and the influence that the senior players, the coaching staff have when they bring a player to Melbourne. So someone like when Josh Adokar arrived at the Storm, he was like a rough diamond, wasn't he? Like we, we saw a little bit of what he could do at the Tigers, um, but he had that air of arrogance about him and just the, the impressive young man he's become being a part of that Bellamy Smith uh, system and and I heard Cameron relaying a story once that when Josh first arrived at the club, they showed him some vision of him over celebrating, yeah. you know, and we all love that as fans, don't mm. we? But in Melbourne, you know, it could be seen as a bit of a narky thing to do to sort of crush it out of them a little bit. But it it wasn't about that. It was about it's not about you. It's about you need to turn around and look to the team. It's all about the team. It's not about you and what you did. And I think that speaks volumes of the senior group and as and and the top of that tree is Cameron mm. um and it's so he was so he'll be so sorely missed when um he's not out there on the field anymore Saturday night Fox League it's worked out perfectly Amy Park Melbourne against Cronulla was I want you to write these numbers down let's call it 400 we'll go off early 400 club games for Cam Smith you throw into that 56 internationals. Add to that his origin tally of 42. You better throw in the All-Stars games as well, which have been four. There's been three World Club Challenge outings for Cam. And how about we throw another one for that testimonial, that controversial testimonial game. (laughs) What do we get to there if you add all them together? I'm putting on the spot again my mathematical genius colleague. What do we come up with? We've got 506. Is that right? 506. 506. 506. Let's call them first-class games, although you'd argue that, you know, origins are first-class plus a bit. So what you lose on an All-Stars or a, 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 a... you know, charity night, you make up for an origin, 506. That's a lot of footy mm. for a modest physical frame to endure. So take a bow. It's. I didn't think we'd see a player get to 400. I really no. didn't. Until Gotta recent years, I didn't think we'd see 400. Mm. No. And, and, and Cameron's already speaking about, you know, the next person to play 400 and... Like Mitchell Pierce has got a mm. fair chance. He started at a very young age. The guys who start when they're 18 now, and you can't play until you're 18, but the guys who start when they're young and avoid injury for the most part and are a you know key figure at their, their club or a good enough talent that they can play until they're 36, 37, like Paul Gallon is playing until he's 37 at the moment. So, um, And Cameron's going to go around next year. So the final tally could well be... You know, it's uh, another, say, dozen games to go this year. Let's say mm. there's 411, 412 potentially. Uh, he, he's going to finish with the best part of, you know, 440, given yeah. if he has a good run with injury. Well, Mitchell Pierce, he's 30. He's on 267. So, I don't know. It's a lot of footy still, isn't it, to catch up with, lot of by footy. the time Cameron finishes? I've got to play for another five years at least, Mitch, into his mid-30s, you know, 35. 133 games off. Off 400. Yeah. That's that's another six seasons worth right there. So he's looking at playing to 30. He's looking at it's a Paul Gallon type yeah. career to get there. Yeah, it's hard to do. Mm. Hard to do. So 
It'll be fantastic. What a moment it will be. The first NRL player to notch up 400 games will be a great moment. And I'm hoping there's a massive crowd down there. Let's hope there's a full house. It's the arch rivalry between the Storm and the Sharks. So it's been a, a rivalry over the last past decade or so now that has really built up. So it's, mm. it sets up well. And then on Sunday, two other big milestones, uh, Benji Marshall game 300 and Gavin mm-hmm. Cooper game 300, which will be slightly overshadowed by the 400 man mm. on on Saturday night. But we'll... Um, I'm sure there'll be a fair bit of fanfare out at Bankwest Stadium for Benji, um, having having been playing in some career-best form at the twilight of his career too. Where are we over the weekend, Maddie? Where are you headed? Um, it's a very good question, <laughs> I am on Super Saturday at this, the Rabbitohs-Seagulls game 3pm and then on Sunday I will be at West Tigers v the Eels for Benji's 300th. Mm-hmm. I'm at uh, Suncorp on Saturday night, 5.30 game, the Broncos... And the Warriors, which is now a fascinating game, isn't it? The mm. Warriors, six wins, nine losses. The Brisbane Broncos, six wins and nine losses. So mm. somebody's going to be seven and nine, feeling pretty good about themselves. The loser is going to be six and ten, meaning they would have to win at least six of their last eight games uh, to make the finals. That's a pretty big pretty big ask. But we went through the Broncos' run home. It's not a bad Lots run home. Of... If somebody can do it... Um, mm. They have the potential, quite obviously, but... Lots of Suncorp you know. games in there too. Yep, that's I think, right. I think I said seven of nine last night. I think it might be six of nine. But there's a lot of Suncorp outings for them to come. Cody Nikarima, is that his first time playing against the Broncos? Yes. Uh, Didn't he play the Bron- no, Broncos no. straight after he, he made the move? Played uh, against them. But no, I think you he asked returned him to Magic interview. Round. He returned oh. to Magic Round to Suncorp a week after, but I don't think... They played the Dragons in Magic Round. That's right. You oh, might. no, after Panthers. I'm sorry. Yes, yes you're right. He played against he them played in the 8-2 yes. uh, you asked him in an interview. Yeah, I did. I said, yep, sorry, he's played in Boring. Not a news line. <laughs> Mount Smart Stadium back in round 11. And that, it was a shocking game. Uh, well, they wrestled them Trialist. out of the contest. Yeah, it was a pretty dire Warriors, affair. Yeah. But uh, And the best Broncos defensive effort of the yep. season happened when they wrestled the best. Yep. And they really worked it hard. They haven't seen them wrestle that way um, since it was... Oh, I'll have to ask um, Anthony Seabold about that. Next time I want to see if I can give him a bell this week, be head of the, uh, the yeah. Broncos and the Warriors and ask him about that, uh, that defensive effort that day against the Warriors. I'm off to Penrith against the Gold Coast. Can the Panthers keep their role going? And I believe um, Mal Meninga delivered his Gold Coast review on Friday. So mm. it'll be interesting to see whether wow, any that's a quick review. news comes out. I imagine it'll disappear as all this origin unfolds this week. Doesn't muck around, Mal, when he no, lobs a no. review in. He was going to come to a Dragons function on Friday but had other duties on the Gold Coast. So yeah. the review, I believe, was delivered. And um, then we go on to Sunday off to Central Coast, the Roosters against North Queensland. You're up there with me. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. So we got Gavin to Cooper's see... 300th. Yep. Um, Which will be taking fantastic. On the, uh, the reigning premiers in the Roosters as well. We'll have players backing up or it would be fascinating to see... Uh, what the Roosters' take on that game is, so as that's the, the two who, o'clock who game, plays, who doesn't, who doesn't back up. And that is the two o'clock game. It's three games on Sunday because there's no to no Thursday game this week. Make off the back people of aware of. But so. the Dragons have gone from a Thursday night game into a Friday night windswept game, or the other way around, into a Sunday six o'clock game. Three in a row in Wollongong. So. They're asking a lot of their fans at the moment, but get out and cheer on the Dragons yep. if you're in the gong. Well, always must, a must good win one game, against, isn't it? Six always, and nine. Yeah, always a good one against the Raiders, who will be cranky because they lost in Darwin just before the bye. Oof, yes. Um, and for a long time there, there was a hoodoo. The Dragons just couldn't beat the Raiders. Mm. Remember mm. back there was oh, yes. a run of like 15 
straight games or something or whatever it was, and especially down there in Canberra, the Dragons and Mark Gasney will tell you about all the times they thought they were going to beat them and couldn't get the job done. Um, that ended a couple of seasons back now, but uh, always a tough game for the Dragons against the Raiders. That is the final game in what will be round 17 of the Telstra Premiership. Mm. Things are rocking along, aren't they? I hope Gavin Cooper's 300 doesn't disappear too much behind Cam Smith and Benji Marshall because he's been fantastic starting at the Cowboys in 06 now, back at the Cowboys after stints at Gold Coast and Penrith. His um, partnership, his allegiance with Jonathan Thurston, for years I enjoyed watching, you know, running off the hip of JT who gave him great service and over he went for who knows how many tries from JT. But, yeah... Big milestones coming up this weekend. I'm looking forward to them all. Thanks for having a chat this week. We'll do it all again uh, next week. We'll see what happens uh, in Origin on Is Origin Wednesday on this week? Night. Apparently there's an Origin game on Wednesday night. At wow. eight. Who's, are you going Apparently out? I've got more publicity. I'll be... Are you going out, Maddie? Yes. Out? Yes, I'll be there. Lars? We're having a Origin shindig at Vonnie's house. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. A league life shindig. Oh, uh, just... She's decking out the house in Origin paraphernalia and we're having a pizza night. Just a sense. So you're wearing your blue jumper. I'm wearing my blues onesie. Yates blues onesie against yeah. two Hollis. Hannah, it's all of us. Oh yeah, and then uh, Danica's coming. Okay. Danica Mason from uh, nine, and yeah, sort of a bit of a media chicks night out. Yeah. Oh, the boys are invited too. <laughs> Very good. It'll be fun. Just to keep you guys under control. Yeah, exactly. Because you might well need yeah, it. Yeah, might scrap it out. What's the address, Lars? And we'll. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it yet. I'll let you know. It's uh, broad, broadcast way, Artama. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to be out there watching on, taking my young bloke out there to have a bit of a look at, uh, he loves going out to watch Origin, so uh, yep, take him out to see the, the Blues against Queensland. The last time yeah. I took him out there, JT kicked a goal to win it for Queensland from right in front of us, pretty there much. There you go. Remember the, the goal? Yeah. Um, it's a couple of seasons ago to uh, his... Was this, was so if they lose, it's your fault? Uh, the, yeah, it will the, be, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, t- and trust me, if, uh, you know, he's a, obviously he's grown up in Sydney, so he's a New South Wales supporter, he'll be gutted if they lose mm-hmm. and he's gone to you know, yeah, two, two, two deciding yeah. games. So actually, that was game two. That was the game Jared Hayne didn't pass the ball. Oh. Remember Loz's young bloke asked him whether he had to support New South Wales? Laurie Daly's young bloke, Will, <laughs> yeah, I think. That's, oh, how tough was that? My son asked me one stage, has New South Wales ever won this series? Uh, so we've got a generation of kids scarred wanting... New South Wales to assert some authority. Yeah, wow. <laughs> tough, tough. All right, we'll see what happens on Wednesday night and we'll see what happens over round 17 of the Premiership. You can take me now. I have seen it all.